Hey guys, welcome to episode two of Deep Hire Decast. Today we're going to be talking about pivots and pitches. So originally when we started Deep Hire, it was around April 2017. And when we first identified the problem, we were both applying for jobs, getting ready for the summer. And we saw that the process was really, really bad. It was really unfriendly. And we didn't think it did a good job of filtering and picking out the best candidates. So our the original thing that we decided to try and create was something that filtered job seekers based on technical fit. Um, so we tried to find what caused the problem, what made it so unfriendly for job seekers. And one of the things we came up with is that for recruiters, the process is always really bad. And it's bad because from the recruiter's perspective, a lot of times they'll get maybe 50 to 100 resumes, and they're expected to go through all these resumes and somehow, from just a piece of paper, pick out the good candidates to then bring in. So we thought we would be able to make the experience better by, instead of doing that, if we could evaluate the candidates for technical fit um, beforehand. So we saw a lot of solutions that we wanted to make a more personalized, very, very custom technical interview. So the thing that we're used to is coding interviews, where if you go for a programming job, they'll give you a coding interview or a coding screen, which is, you know, uh, calculate the prime numbers uh, for less than a million. You know, write an algorithm that calculates all the prime numbers up to one million. And then you have to write the code for that, and it's a whole experience, and usually it's all whiteboarded. So we're figuring out how to automate that. So what if we'd made something very, very, you know, web-based, so a programmer would go to this website, they would do this type of question, and it'd be very relevant questions for the business as well. So it'd be personalized interview questions on behalf of the business. Uh, then, as we kept researching, notice that there are already a lot of solutions out there. So then we thought to ourselves, all right, if there are already a lot of solutions doing what we're doing, and yet people still hate their jobs, people, it's still super hard to find a good job, that means that's not the way to solve it. Mm-hmm. You know, that, like, solutions already exist, but the problem still exists. So that's not the way to do it. So then we, and at that point we didn't know what culture was. We didn't know what culture fit even existed. So I think we talked about it in the last podcast as well. We started learning about what culture is, what culture fit even is. And then we're like, all right, this is probably the way. Since we tried to do the technical thing, but technical, that's not the reason people are unhappy in their jobs. They're not unhappy because they can't do the job. In fact, everyone can be a good programmer, but any of they're still unhappy in the software, software positions. So that means it's a culture problem. Mm-hmm. And how we started out with that, so our original idea for more or less matching up job seekers and their culture, their personality into company and their company culture, what we did is we were trying to develop a system where several people in a company would fill out something very similar to a survey. So for example, the entire engineering team would all fill out the survey. And then when the company is um, hiring and interviewing, then the job seeker would fill out a very similar survey. And then more or less, we would just compare the answers to the job seeker survey with stuff that we inferred from the company survey. And then boom, a match. And he's talking very, the way we were approaching the problem is very AI driven, meaning we would have a corpus of data and use natural language processing, NLP, to parse through all this data, train up a model, an artificial statistical model, and very specifically, we're using Siemens neural networks, 
which you would pump in, you would have two identical neural networks and you would pump in the data from the businesses, meaning these were behavioral interview questions. So it's like, uh, do you like having a manager or do you like coming up with stuff yourself? You know, to see if people like being in a flat structure or in a hierarchical structure. And then we would give that question to a bunch of the employees from, let's say, Goodyear. And then all these Goodyear employees would fill that out with certain answers and they would always use the same phrases and the same types of words. And then for anyone applying to Goodyear, we would have we would ask them the same question. And then this AI would check to see how similar was this candidate's response to the actual business response. And the similarity coefficient was super high. That means that they're probably similarly like-minded because they use the same words and try to get the same tone in the behavioral interview questions. And the problem with that was it was super hard to find a huge body of data to train up the neural networks. Because AI isn't just you conceptualize it and you pump it in, pump in some data and get out some data. You need to train, or at least the way we're doing it, you need to train first, train the models first on a corpus of data. And it was super, super hard for us to find that corpus of data so that the AI can make these inferences. Mm. And then the question was, now how can we gather this data so that we'll be able to make these inferences? Tune towards the problem we're solving because there is a lot of data of just generic stuff like, okay, Google or hey, Alexa. Mm -hmm. So like that, just asking for generic stuff, there is a lot of data about that. That's just like the very, very standard, I think uh, the Stanford corpus or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's all very standard. But we're going very specifically for mentalities and kind of tonal expressions for the workplace using elements from organizational psychology. Yeah. And... So since we couldn't find any data online or data from anywhere else, then we were more or less forced with coming up with a system to gather that data ourselves. So we started with a system where we our only aim was to um, find out what the current culture at a company is. And that's what our next pivot was. was we, we switched from the two-sided market to fo- focusing pretty much exclusively on companies. Two-sided and market, then, focus specifically on companies. Yeah, 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 right. And then that's when we started going to market and doing the customer interview or customer discovery and all that type of stuff. We realized that companies, well, for one, they kind of didn't really buy into the idea, probably because it was a group of 22-year-olds, 21-year-olds that were saying we can improve on, you know, using elements of organizational psychology and all that type of stuff, we can improve the results you get. But we had no domain knowledge. Yeah. And, and we're, we're, we're trying to, like, skip through that by saying, no, no, but it's just math. Yeah. You know, but, you don't need... People were extremely skeptical as well because they still don't really understand how you can evaluate culture. Because for them, like the personality and culture is something they said is very much you feel. You don't you don't like describe it. It's like a feeling. Like when I talk to Steve, I like just by interacting with him, I get a feeling, I get a sense of what his personality is and how he would fit in our team. Yeah, correct. And people did not buy into that. Mm-hmm. They're like, you can't really use math to figure out this culture fit. That just doesn't make any sense. But we were betting that, well, no, AI is going to the point that you can use math to kind of predict future culture fit. And we are right and wrong. It is feasible to do, but it seems to be just very difficult since we didn't have the data. Right. To do it's it. like if the right data was there, we'd be able to do it. But it's super, yeah. super hard to find that right data. So we tried to kind of hack our way around that problem by doing these surveys of company culture. So then we pivoted to this idea where we do the surveys, much like Office Vibe or Culture IQ, these other big competitors, 
that is all about employee engagement. So it's employee engagement surveys where we build up the solution, give it to a company, company pushes a button, sends out a pulse survey to all the employees and just ask them three questions like, uh, how happy are you in your job? Or um, do you feel like you, you have an, do you feel like you can talk to your boss openly about problems you're having at work? Things like that. Where people would rank, people scored low on that question that means that they feel constricted or maybe they wanted to talk to the boss, you know, whatever, they're like a less engaged employee. So we built up that tool and it took us kind of a long time to even find a business that was willing to test it out or pilot it. Because again, it wasn't, to in this area, to the people that we were talking to, it wasn't a big enough problem for them to spend money on. Hmm. And I guess they didn't really understand the value proposition that they're getting as much. Yeah. And our first... Which is half our beta, call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our first beta client, they seem to be doing it mostly because they just liked us and wanted to help us out instead of actually thinking that like, the idea... They didn't have a problem. Cool. You know, yeah. they, they just liked us. So they're like, yeah, sure. I'll send this out to my employees once a month. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually have a problem they were looking to solve. And for a startup, for a test pilot... You know, even if that is like, I would say it's okay because you can gather some data, mm-hmm. but it really depends on what you're trying to get out of it. For us, we're very much trying to see is our complete new, innovative, fresh take on recruiting, will that actually provide results? Is there actually a problem here that we're trying to solve? Because we have a very different idea of how to solve this recruiting mm-hmm. stuff. So for them, it's not very useful for us to mm, have a company only use us because they like us, where the golden standard is to have a company who likes us and they have, they recognize this as a problem. You know, so the first adopters, find yeah. first adopters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the entire time as well, we were still thinking about how we could change our idea to make it fit businesses better or it's just to be overall more appealing. And one of the pieces of feedback that we kept getting back was that piece of feedback that you can, that it's hard to judge someone's culture or they would not trust, sorry, it, people kept saying that they would not trust AI to judge someone's culture. Mm-hmm. So there was a big... Which like, is very tuned to this area, right? Where you yeah, don't live in Silicon uh-huh. Valley or yeah. a tech hub. Where in, in those places, there are probably way more first adopters, early adopters who are willing to try it out or willing to you know, bet on AI. But we live in the Midwest in a slightly conservative, you know, like business-wise, these aren't cutting-edge businesses we have in the area. It's like manufacturing companies and kind of older school companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... With that in mind, I think one day Steve came downstairs and he more or less had the idea of, hey, since people aren't willing to trust this, what if instead we just showed job seekers what it's currently like at the company with videos? And then we were, we were kind of skeptical at first of that idea. We, I think we discussed it. We whiteboarded it out for like three or four hours. Yeah. We talked to our mentors about it as well. But then... After a while, the decision was that we really liked that. We thought it would be useful. We decided to talk to some people before we decided for sure. But Steve and I were both much more passionate about that idea than the survey-based approach. And Nick. So was Nick. Yeah, and Nick as well. Um, so So we liked it because it changed our market from businesses to millennials which are our age. We know about millennials. And then also it allowed us to improve upon marketing um, and just 
basically, it helped us use the skills that we have and we right. want to develop in this new to spa- in this space. Play off our strengths. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. make, I was gonna say earlier the reason why you know we're telling them uh, the reason why we couldn't sell this survey implementation to companies very well is because typically. The type of companies that the surveys help the most are the big companies where they have so many employees yeah. that employees just don't even, they only know five of the people at the company. There's just so many people, yeah. right? But at a small company, you'll know everybody. So for these big companies, employer employees can feel isolated. And that's where the surveys come in handy because you can have one person get a data and all that type of stuff. But we don't have the network to settle those companies. We don't know how to get into the companies. It, and overall, the vibe prop wasn't strong enough to be so compelling. Because right now, we are selling to a big company, you know, 1,500 mm-hmm. employees. Mm-hmm. That's because their vibe prop for them is very, very strong. Mm-hmm. And also, we have more of a network, so it's like easier to get into them and all that type of stuff. So it was about reorienting what we were doing to basically keep us alive, right? Pivoting to keep alive, while also, I would call it a smart pivot, because we pivoted to keep alive, as well as during the pivot, it just ended up that we'll we are working on something that's more tuned to the strengths anyways. So now it's just a higher probability of success that, we'll, that we have now than we had before. Yeah. And then on a more personal level as well, I just like, I really like helping people find a job that they will fall in love with opposed to exclusively helping corporations like find out. Yeah, what instead of just helping so businesses like, become more efficient at recruiting, yeah. it's about now we're also helping people find the right job while also helping businesses be more efficient. Mm-hmm. It was more, more humanistic. Yeah. It feels better. And then since then, that was in late August, I think we had that idea. So not sure if we touched on it on the last uh, podcast, but the survey idea, it took us like a month and a half to find one pilot company. And then now since the end of August, it took us maybe two months to find five pilot companies. Mm-hmm. So it was drastically different. You know, all of a sudden, companies were much more willing to try to depart and talk to us about our idea, all that type of stuff. And since then, the idea, core idea has not changed. It seems like the core idea is here to stay and we'll see as we keep going. But so far, the core idea has not changed, but the pitch has changed drastically. Pitch has changed so much in how we present and communicate the idea. Mm. Yeah, so something else that is very beneficial to the company side as well for this new idea is that Companies with small or without really powerful brand equity are more or less just able to expose their brand and what their brand is like to all these job seekers as well. Yeah, um, because the goal is we are able to equalize the brand equity here. Where if we have a really small company, even really small companies are totally worth it to work for. It's not just the Googles and the Apples that people will be happy working at. People will be happy working at local companies as well. But no one knows about those companies. Yeah, when you're comparing... Right now, in the current world, when you compare a job posting of a local company to a job posting of Google, they're basically saying the exact same thing. You know, they're looking for the same technical qualifications, all type of stuff, but one is from freaking Google. So you're gonna always apply that one and care about that one way more than the local company. And the only reason you care more about Google is because Google has spent literally millions of dollars, you know, creating the brand equity and putting in marketing dollars. So now the gamble is, Part of the value prop to small businesses or people who aren't, you know, as well known as the Googles of the world. The value prop to them is, hey, because now it's now you're comparing your culture to Google's culture. Which one's better? And every single company will always say, my culture is better. You know, because like we're special, we have the good employees, we're awesome. If only people knew about that. 
So now you're comparing Google employees to a local company's employees. And actually when it comes down to it, it's just people, right? It's just humans. So now it's a very, very subjective decision where which one do I see myself liking the most? So the pitch changed a lot where I think that's actually where it started out. The pitch started out like that. Mm-hmm. And then after getting slaughtered repeatedly in different pitches, then we realized what do investors care about? What do, um, what do test pilots care about? What do prospective clients care about? And so over the course of maybe four months, five months, and five months and maybe 12 pitches, mm-hmm. probably 12 to 20 pitches, uh, now it's surfaced that the main value prop is uh, we're using a company's culture to source the right employees to even apply for the job. And then again, using the company culture to screen all those employees. And then at the very end of this funnel, now you have technical fit because we're able to look at the resume and all that type of stuff, as well as a culture fit. So we're saving companies time and money. Instead of going to Indeed or Monster or LinkedIn, where you push a button, you pay 50 bucks, and you get back a thousand resumes, now on DeepHire, you push a button for $10 and you get back three resumes. And you also get the accompanying videos of each um, job seeker or each candidate as well. So you get the culture fit as well as the technical fit. So that combination seems to work very well when talking to companies. And the way we figured that out was by literally just talking to companies and getting slaughtered over and over again and messing up sales meetings and just grinding it out for a few months and scheduling as many sales meetings as possible. So for me, I was in an awkward position where I knew that our value prop wasn't tuned yet. So I knew driving to a sales meeting that, oh man, this is not gonna go through. I'm not gonna land the sale. So the only optimism or hope I clung to, it was just to get like one piece of feedback. I can change the pitch a little bit so that the next meeting I go to, it's a little bit better. And then doing that for weeks and weeks and months and months. And now I think we're, uh, now there's still, I would say if I went to a sales pitch right now, maybe 75% chance that they'd be won over with the pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like using the right words and communicating it correctly. So it's still way better than earlier. It was like 10%, now it's 75%, but it's still getting better. Yeah. So the kind of the role that pitching played is it really helped us in articulating and coming up with a good story to share our idea. And then just getting that constant feedback of where we messed up in the pitch, what wasn't clear, what didn't make sense. And this both helped in us explaining the idea and it helped us more or less understand the idea ourselves. Yeah, which, because I think personally, I feel that I haven't actually changed about how I think about the idea since August. I can think about the idea the same exact way, but the main thing that's changed is the communication of the idea. For me, I, I very much, I don't know, do you feel like that? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, now we're just talking about after our last pivot, right? Yeah, since August. Yes, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's like I still think about the idea in, intrinsically. I think, like, just because we know each other, we were both on the same page mm-hmm. when we came up with the idea. But now, going through this whole process, different parts of the core idea have bubbled up to be more important to certain types of people. Mm-hmm. So now it's like figuring out who I'm talking to and what do they care about. All right, boom. That means this feature matters to them, this feature, and this core value prop matters to them. So I'll highlight these three things, and I won't even talk about the other stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you go to another sales meeting, then maybe it's a like super large company, and they really care about that uh, email recommendation because they can send that out to the hiring team, and now they don't have to spend all that time coordinating interviews. Mm-hmm. So then now to them, I say that. But then, yeah, the skill is very useful because then by doing that, you're able to tell what the people actually care about 
for yeah. when you're building the product as well. Because I guess one thing when you're talking to people, what they say and what they want are two completely different things. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. And I think that's also, I mean, we got a little bit of shit for not building up, because we're a team of three software developers, mm -hmm. right? But we didn't build a prototype until, I don't know, uh, November. We built that first iOS app was done, like November with some of the back end. Yeah. So it's like we're two or three software developers. Having three developers was kind of a big selling point to investors and pitching one like that. But we delayed a lot on writing any type of code because we spent a lot of time just talking to people and showing them mockups and then talking about just really doing customer interviews and mom testing them, talking about does this actually help? Why does this help? How do we reverse engineer what you actually want? All that type of stuff. So it's like almost consulting for a few year, few months. And then now I think we're finally stable enough where we're cranking down and just programming to do that product development. Yeah, and the reason we did that was we were just trying to use our time as efficiently as possible. Because instead that's of putting kind of up like, yeah, yeah, I mean it was a gamble, but that's why we did that. Instead of putting up a ton of time up front to like just build a random product and then iterate and get feedback, mm -hmm. we tried to just figure out the fifth space first and then needle nose what we were building towards what we thought they wanted and then more of an iterative pro uh, iterative process for development. Right, because again, we started out not knowing anything about recruiting, so we had to play six months of just researching and catch up and talking to as many people as possible mm. to even know what recruiters care about, what does HR people care about, what do job seekers care about, and what tools are out there right now, how do we differentiate from them, what value do they give, what are their pricing points, all that type of stuff to kind of hit on being a domain expert in the area and that takes that takes so much time so personally I felt I think I even told Nick is that I don't want to code I want coding to be the very last thing we do because we just didn't know anything you know whatever we coded it's like five hours that we spent no 50 hours we spent coding up something rather than 50 hours spending getting into meetings and talking to people and learning about what they're doing mm -hmm. so we had like six to eight months of just that and then the last four months was um, with this specific idea mm. of seeing how people respond to this very specific idea. Are companies even willing to make videos about themselves? Are job seekers willing to find their next company by swiping through videos and watching them? And what should the design look like? What's the experience look like? All that type of stuff. So, and then fast forwarding now, we're again gambling that we know enough, we have enough validation, especially on the employer side, and we're going to be ramping up a validation for job seeker side pretty soon to be comfortable writing code and investing in how much I've, I'd say for me personally in the past week I've coded I don't know how many hours like 30 at least 30 yeah. in I'd say four days just estimate I would say 25 to 35 yeah so that's a pretty significant days. time investment in the past four days to code instead mm -hmm. of doing customer discovery and validation all that type of stuff mm -hmm. so making sure that investment is useful Right? Mm -hmm. So it's the right gamble. So now we're gambling that now is the time to do that investment. And then we'll see what happens in these sales pitches. So probably yeah. in like three episodes for now, four episodes for now, we'll be doing a sales retrospective mm -hmm. on what we learned in sales and what the plan is and all that type of stuff. So as far as more formal pitches that we've done, um, we – not just pitches to people 1v1 or a small group of people, but – um, pitches where it's been us to like an audience. We've how, how many of those have we had since August? For yeah. the since, idea, um, since I guess started. since we started. 
because we started out with the I-Core pitches. Yeah. And then... There was like six of them. Yeah. And then we did uh, some the TBF group. pitches. Oh, like, I pitched, I think, three times in the summer to TBF people. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then there were, like, some library pitch that I did. So, it's... So like we've had, the summer. yeah. So I guess we've had about fifteen pitches where it's been to a large audience of people, and the benefit that we got from that was it helped us just practice speaking to an audience of people. It helped us in articulating our story and expressing that to the audience. It helped because um, we got feedback on what people didn't understand, what people like, what they didn't like, and from pitching we also got, I think four to ten different leads for people who are interested in using DeepHire. And then have we, yeah, found, have we found any mentors from hearing us pitch? Um, does Paul count? Paul kind of? Uh, Stephen Benny kind of? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so kind of. It was Gene Joyce. Yeah, Gene. Yeah. So I guess pitching in the large setting was more of just a um, that was more, networking Yeah, basically. Benefit. So pitching was a... The only thing pitching is good for is to get feedback on the way... Well, for us, in our specific position, mm-hmm. it was only good for getting feedback on the communication of the idea, as well as... Since August, I mean. Communication of the idea, as well as a way to expose yourself to kind of opinion leaders or thought leaders or influencers in the area who mm-hmm. know entrepreneurship. And maybe you'll get lucky, and for us we did. We got lucky, and turns out we found a... You know, opinion thought leader of someone who watched the pitch, who also I think he angel invest as well as he was made the HR company. That was a tech HR based company, so it's like exactly what we need. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was, yeah, like he has experience building tech companies that optimize for HR. Yeah. So like how to talk to HR people, how to find the next HR company, what do HR people even think about, look at, where they value, mm-hmm. like for that type of stuff. Very very helpful. Very, very helpful. And as far as usefulness for us, for us pitching, I think Steve touched on this earlier, but it kind of peaked a couple months ago, and now doing these pitching events is way less useful for us yeah. than it was then. It just so now, suddenly. Yeah. I used to pitch yeah. maybe twice a month, yeah. maybe three times a month, and like actually prepare for each pitch. And then now since January, which is when we kind of can say that it was validated, so we got the feel that everything was validated. Yeah. Since then, I've done one pitch. And I've only done that one pitch because of the networking mm-hmm. aspect of it. Mm-hmm. For that, the value was yeah. the networking. And pitching actually takes way more time than yeah, you would a think lot of time. it takes. So much time. Mm-hmm. It takes a ton of time to prepare for a pitching event because really you should research who's going and what type of companies that they typically look at so you can know what was it for us what is their age range because mm-hmm. ours is a really millennial based idea so the pitch has to be different um, and then working on the actual pitch deck and making sure it looks nice make sure there are no errors make sure you're communicating everything you should make sure it's still concise make sure everything is very clear make sure the copy is good it takes, it's really a time sink because yeah. it's never perfect mm-hmm. so I've done days where I spend 8 to 10 hours only thinking about the pitch and only doing the pitch so that's, again, a big time investment, just like for coding. That's how 10 hours you're choosing to spend on the pitch rather than maybe finding the next company to go talk to mm-hmm. or finding the next person you should get introduced to. Mm-hmm. So it's a really, really big time investment. Yeah. And um, another thing that is difficult about pitching is most of the time the people we are pitching to are not people that feel the pain of deep hire. So, which is common, like for whatever startup people do. Yeah. Uh Yeah. But then we're targeting millennials who have had a job in the past that they haven't really liked, 
or that haven't been entered into the workforce yet. And um, for, for the first case, it's people that know what it's like to work at a place where they don't match up with the culture. So they like really, really associate with the problem. But then for most of these pitching events, it's people between 45 and 65 years old. Yeah. And with a few actually, yeah, most of the people we're pitching to like run their own business of some sort or are just haven't involved been involved in, in like hiring yeah. or recruiting in a while. Right. So it's uh, for, oh yeah, that one pitch was super useful. The Akron uh, business leader or whatever, where we met Welty. Mm-hmm. All that was, all that was super yeah. useful. Where University of Akron held some event and we were invited to come in and pitch. And it was just all the big CEOs of Akron and some in Cleveland or this area came to the event. And just because these are big CEOs who run big companies, all of them know that recruiting is a huge pain point. Mm-hmm. So we pitched along with another startup. And after the event, I had like six CEOs come up to me and say, that's very interesting. What else are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And the other company had maybe two people. But that's because the other company, Hunger Perks, was for restaurants. Mm-hmm. But restaurant owners did not come to that event. But for us, any pitch that we do to a bigger kind of business audience, yeah. it will resonate with everyone because everyone knows recruiting is a huge pain point, huge time sink. You know, you need to make the right hire, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and as you can assume, for our pitches, we almost exclusively focus on like the company side and the benefits to companies because those are the people we're like trying to iterate on and get feedback from right, right now yeah. and sell to. And that was the previous phase. Now we're, it's a slight pivot where we've gone through the validation phase for that. Yeah. And so now we're doing that validation phase for job seeker side, mm-hmm. which as we talked is going to go by a lot quicker because we are millennials and it's very easy for us to find millennial job seekers in the segment, et cetera, et cetera. So we spent a lot of time for the businesses iterating on that. And then I think personally, it's very important. It's very easy also to get caught up in the weeds, you know, mm-hmm. like forget the bigger plan, the six month, 12 month plan. Cause for us, I think we've done a pretty decent job at hitting all of our transition points where pitching uh, stopped becoming very useful about three months ago. So three months ago, stop pitching and start when we already had the next thing to work on. So it was very important to line up the next two or three phases so you can hit the transition points and just go for it right away. Hmm. Yeah. Sense. Any other thoughts on the pitching stuff or on pitching? My opinions on pitching is that it should be used very strategically. You should yeah, only pitch course. if it's like very, well, very strategic. Yeah. You can say that about everything. But. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I feel like I people agree. get caught in the pitching, kind of like how when we first started out, that's what James and Jack oh, always yeah, talked that, about. People love to pitch just because love the, yeah, yeah. yeah go, Cause, yeah, go cause, for it. Because it can be exciting. Yeah. You know, like it, it feels, feels good nice that people come up to you. People, yeah, yeah. Getting people to come up to you, have people like feel passionate about your idea and like your idea. But like the fact of the matter, most of the time when you're pitching, you're not actually building anything. So you, right, there's no yeah, business yeah, development. you don't want to stagnate. And a lot of times startups get caught up on continuing, uh, continually just pitching, going to pitching events, winning money over and over and over. And that delays them for six to 20 months because yeah. they're in, running the pitching circuit. Yeah. Agreed. So I think we're heading up on time. So next time we'll be talking about what can we do? Yeah, wow. We'll probably cut this out for our own notes so that we can have it. You know what I mean? And it'll be live on Twitter. <laughs> uh, uh, so I think it'd be useful to bring in an HR person probably and talk about their perspective, the recruiter's perspective. Yeah, it's like just a scheduling yeah, yeah. thing is the only. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys.
Okay. That was a very poor closing. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did actually, you just mistake? Did you go into the what are we doing next time on mistake? Yeah, kind uh, of. I was okay. hoping you'd have an idea. I did have a small idea. Okay. But I